Isaiah chapter 9. We're a little rushed because I would like to invite everybody. We're a little rushed because I would like to invite everybody down to the activity center right after we're through so you can see the new ceiling that has been dropped. It was done and dusted, and it is beautiful. It is a real, real gift. It's our Christmas gift for the Lord. Uh, it makes the room. When you go in... The sound is excellent in there because before it was just the, uh, the metal roof and it's insulated and it just, and the, and the light is stunning. So you've got to come and see it. So right after we're through with service this morning, I invite you down. We have some small little sampler sandwiches from Subway and um, we'll have tea and coffee down there as well. Just to come down there very briefly before you head home just to see what we're working on and what we're working toward. Take your Bible, turn to Isaiah. We won't stand because everybody's got tea, cups of tea in their hand. But in Isaiah chapter 9, I want to talk to you about a phrase in the Bible that says, unto us is born. Isaiah chapter 9. Key phrase. It's actually found in verse 6. And uh, if if you'll look there, I'm just going to read that verse. It says, and it's our memory verse this month. The Bible says in Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So we're looking at a child being born, and I, I love Christmas. Uh, not everybody does. Some people find it very hard at this time of year. Some people find Christmas time a very lonely. The rest of us find it very expensive uh, when you're trying to uh, buy on guilt and when you're trying to do what everybody else is doing, listening to uh, people on uh, the radio talking about what they're buying their kids makes you just, your stomach just turns the amount of money people spend. So people hate this time of year for all the stress. And those who, there, there are some people who actually love Christmas, but I think for all the wrong reasons. They love the lights and the gift giving, the family and the shopping, and those aren't all bad reasons, but they are still the wrong reasons why anyone should love the time of Christmas. Christmas in our Western culture has become something that they take the meaning for granted. I think to millions of very well-off, very comfortable people, Christmas is only a tradition now. It is a religious thing that you do. Millions of families and people will go to midnight mass and it will mean little to nothing to them. Others will drink and drink and drink themselves silly at an Xmas party. I don't like that term. Jesus is not an X. Uh, and uh, they'll watch Home Alone for the 30th time and make it, or that or Elf, whatever the name of that other thing is, and call it Christmas. To others, the baby of Christmas is a ceramic doll in a strange-looking basket. You know, um, uh, I think children are growing up so disconnected. You know, I, 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 to most people who really spend very little time talking about Jesus, Christmas is something that just happened a long time ago in a boring time of history. And um, it's so out of step with the modern world. That's my point. And I say, amen for that. But Christmas doesn't belong in the modern world. The modern world is not what Christmas is all about. It's a very special thing that happened at a special time. Because a long time ago, in the most boring time of history, God was working out impossible circumstances through the birth of a small baby that would change the whole world. And those same circumstances, those same troubles that were happening in Israel's day are happening still today and need to be overcome. Let's bow in prayer and let's let this phrase, unto us is born, let it 
just remind us of a fulfillment of a promise. Father, we bow before you, ask you to help us in this Christmas time to step out of the modern age and, and relish a time that should last forever. We need to go back to a manger because we can't improve on the first Christmas. We can only memorialize it. We can only enjoy it. Lord, I pray that we would this Christmas time, that you would help us to hold back from all of the debt. Lord, when we feel that stress meter going way over the top, that we'd pull back and say, no, that is wrong. That's not what Christmas was ever intended to be. Listening to all the humor and the jokes just turns my stomach. I'm sure it is an abomination to you because this is a holy time of year. Lord, we want to take, as Christians, we want to take back what Christmas is, is supposed to be all about. It's first in our homes. Lord, I pray that you bless the preaching of your word this morning and that you just encourage your people that it's okay to be out of step with the world. Help somebody who's not saved this morning, God, to decide, you know what? I think I'll trust the God who became a little baby, grew up, took the beating, the torment, took the whipping, took the, cru took the crucifixion because he loved me. He wants to save me. 39 years ago, I let him save me. I pray that today would be the day you'd let him save you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so there in Isaiah, I'm going to read the first five verses, give you a little bit of a background to verse 6. Now, chapter 8 and chapter 9, obviously, are a bigger context. We're not going to take a lot of time. But chapter 9 says some very unique phrases. Look in verse, nine, verse 1. It says, nevertheless, the dimness. Now, it's talking about darkness. It says, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, in her worst trouble, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land. And I want you to notice these, these places, Zebulun. And the land of Naphtali, those were two tribes in the children of Israel up at the northern part of Israel. And afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, where? All right, so there was affliction going on. There was uh, vexation. There was darkness up around Galilee. Verse 2, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them light hath shined. So remember that darkness has come light. That's our first thing we're going to talk about. Verse 3, thou hast multiplied the nation. You know, God can bless a country and yet not increase their joy. You ever watch a child and they're the most fierce, angry, um, brat, and you give them a gift, and, ah, and then 30 seconds later, they're back to just being mean. Listen, God can give you things and it not change your heart. God says that he has multiplied that nation and yet has not increased the joy. Oh, they joy before thee according to the joy in the harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil, but... Their kind of joy, human joy, is materialism. It's based on things. And God had not increased their joy. So you need to circle that word because that's our second point. Verse 3, verse 4, thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise. You know, if you... If you could ever experience or, or sense what, what happened on a battlefield, there is no, there is no order. There's no, there's no sense to war. When, when they train soldiers to go into fight, they lay out plans, they lay out movements, they show troops and weapons and tactics. But when you get into war, guess what? It's confusion. Nothing works. Everything that can go wrong will go wrong. People start dying. And here it says, every battle of the warrior is with confused noise. 
and you end up with garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. Now, where, wow, where are we going? We're dealing with a war that is ended. All, when he talks about the burning and the fuel of fire, it is that all of the weapons are burned and all of the, uh, all of the, uh, um, uh, the defeated armies are, are fuel for the fire and it's done. And it says, verse 6, how? For unto us, not an army, but a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government shall not be on our enemy's shoulder, but upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. I like this part. There shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, it's a promise. And upon his kingdom, it's going to be somebody to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So by way of background, Isaiah is seeing stuff all the way out to the end. And if you ever read the book of Isaiah, and you should, every year, you should be reading through your Bible. You get to Isaiah. How many chapters are in the book of Isaiah? Anybody want to guess? 66, which is a unique thing because there are how many books in the Bible? 66. You ought to read the 66th chapter in uh, Isaiah, and it all reads exactly like the book of Revelation. If you go to the 40th chapter in Isaiah, it reads like Matthew, which happens to be the 40th book of your Bible. So Isaiah is sitting back and God is showing him everything. He's showing him all the way to the end of time, but he also shows him a coming birth. He lives about 2,700 years ago, 700 years before Jesus was born. And but the best part, he showed him a little baby being born. Now, what was God promising? He promised light in darkness. And he says that the light was going to spring up in an area that is phenomenal. Normally, we think of, now this is how the land of Israel was all divided up at the time. Judah's down here. Up on the top is, is Manasseh and uh, Issachar, Zebulun, Naphtali, Asher. All of those, this is all, this is the Sea of Galilee. And up here, light was going to come. Light was going to appear not down in Jerusalem, where the bigwigs were, where the uh, uh, muckety-mucks, the, the, the big wheelers, the money makers. It was going to happen up in the hillbilly country, up in Galilee. And light was going to show up. I don't know if you understand what that could mean, but uh, this was not physical darkness which is hard enough to deal with. I mean, if, we, if, if, if it was dark outside, we'd turn the lights off here, everybody would start to freak out. They'd pull out their phones and turn on their light on their phone. But uh, this was demonic darkness, spiritual darkness, emotional darkness. Deep depression had taken over that entire area. They didn't have money. They didn't have, uh, they were always the first, they were always the first area that was attacked. When the Assyrians came down, they wiped out that whole area. When, um, uh, when the Babylonians came, they just, they just came right, they just walked right on through. They were always, always under attack. They were always living in fear. They had no technology. When it gets dark, what do you normally do? You turn on a light. We're so used to electricity, torches, street lights, but they had nothing but dim candles. They were struggling they were stumbling and falling in darkness. Remember what you were like before you got saved? You were in darkness. And I mean, you, you trying, to find, trying to find your way through life, and all you did was stumble and stumble and fall and fall. But here was the promise of a little baby boy who was light. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. What does that mean? The hope, the, the, the confidence. 
You know, if everybody else is in darkness and they can't see, they can't see their hand in front of their face and somebody turns on a torch, all of a sudden you can find your way out of a problem. You can find your way through the darkness. And Jesus is that light. This promise was given that light himself was going to come. Matthew chapter 4 says, When Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zabulon and Nephtalim, those were two tribes over there, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Say, in the land of Zabulon and the land of Nephtalim, by the way of the sea, woe beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. To them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, light is sprung up. You know, it's, it's when, when, you, when you go through a long night and maybe you haven't slept all night, maybe you've got stress or maybe you've got a colicky baby or maybe uh, somebody's sick in the house or whatever there and you didn't get much sleep and it just drags on and the night just goes on and goes on and on and then you look out the window and you see the sunrise and it encourages you. And so Isaiah could see light was coming. It's like looking, you're in a tunnel and you're walking your way through and it's pitch black, but you see light at the end of the tunnel and you go, there's an end to this thing. There's light there. And that's what was being promised to all of Israel. Unto us is born light in the darkness. Unto us is joy being given. You know, a child can bring a lot of joy in a home. can bring a lot of trouble too. But... This birth was not going to just bless a whole. It was going to bless the whole world. It was going to bless a world gripped by materialism. The nation of Israel had just been delivered, and we're going to talk about it in the next one, from, from uh, uh, the Assyrians. And now they were back. Uh, the, the nation of Israel was making money. They were harvesting. People were eating well. They were living better. And yet they had no joy, no real joy. You know, that's where we're at today. I see people spending money like there's no tomorrow. But there's no joy. I know there's no joy because it was the same when I was growing up. I mean, all I lived for were things. All I couldn't wait for was to open that door to go into the sitting room and to see what Santa brought me. I told you about one time I and my older brother got the courage. to. We were not allowed to go into our sitting room where the Christmas tree was and all the presents until Grandma and Grandpa had had breakfast, had their coffee, and we all went in together. Well, I and my brother at about 5.30 in the morning decided we are going to go sneak in there and see what Santa brought. Santa's not real. But anyway, I thought he was real. And so down, uh, uh, down, uh, forget that. We, 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 we got in, we got there, we cracked open the door, we looked in there, and I saw a bike. Oh, my goodness. My heart leaped to the ceiling. There was a there was a shortwave radio there. My older brother had wanted, and that was that was sitting there. And there were toys and everything. And we went in there. We closed the door. We were and then we turned around, and my dad was there. He had set up, put that bike together, and set up all those toys, and fallen asleep. And he peeked open that eye and went, "Boo! <laughs> what are you doing in here?" We had to run out. But you know, that's all I lived for. Growing up until I was 17 years old, there was no joy. I had moments of happiness. But then you had, you had, man, you had those dips, the shadow of death gripping you, man. That baby was promised who would turn, uh, who, could, who was going to be born in the time of materialism, who would bring not happiness. And everybody wants to be happy, but you better find joy. Because this baby was going to bring lasting joy. You know, our world is it backwards. There was materialism and a baby was born to bring joy. And now we're back at materialism without the baby. Christmas is not about things. Don't go back to the time in which Jesus was born. We need to fix this world so they realize he came to deliver us from the need for things. Also came that promise was complete victory over our enemies. Like I said, in Isaiah's day, they had just experienced a great victory. The Assyrian Empire, under a guy named Sennacherib, had sent down a massive army and surrounded Jerusalem and marched right over Naphtali and, and Asher and all the northern tribes around Galilee, 
marched down to Jerusalem, surrounded Jerusalem. Hezekiah's king at the day, and Hezekiah prays and says, Lord, help us. I don't know what you can do, but do something. And the Lord sent one angel, one angel. And in the morning, the watchman over the wall looked out and they saw an entire army all lying on their faces out in every direction. 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were dead. And Sennacherib had to run home with his tail between his legs because God had brought a victory. And that had just happened. And Isaiah looking down there saying, you think that's cool, the God who brought that can bring you perfect and complete victory. I was just talking to Eric a little while ago. Most Christians are looking for victory. They're looking for victory from some uh, uh, consistent um, uh, defeating sin. They're looking for some uh, freedom from the bondage of maybe a, a past hurt or they're, they're struggling with, with all of the guilt of their past. Let me tell you, when Jesus Christ died, you don't need freedom. You have freedom. You just have it in your head. I'm still not free. When Christ said, I've made you free and I made you free indeed. So there is something about just starting to believe, you know what? I'm sitting here still living like I'm a slave to sin. I'm still living like I'm a, I'm a child of the devil. I'm still doing whatever the devil tells me to do instead of what the Holy Spirit tells me to do. And there is just something about this coming baby to, to Isaiah that was going to bring perfect victory so they could burn all the weapons of war and never fight again. Did you know I and you don't have to wrestle against our sin? Christ wrestled it. What we need to do is that believe that we're free and when the devil comes knocking, we can learn to ignore him. We can actually learn to submit ourselves to God so that we can resist the devil. It doesn't take much to resist him when God's right behind you. If you're close to the Lord Jesus and the devil shows up, he's already trembling. So when we have to wrestle against flesh, when we have to wrestle against principalities and powers and they look big and they look scary and they look overwhelming, let me tell you, they're nothing compared to the God that stands with us when we're close to him. Submit ourselves to God, we can resist the devil and it says he won't walk away. He will flee. Amen. That baby can give complete victory over your past, over all of your wicked passions, all over all of your... Um, ungodly habits, and we all got them. But he gives victory. Now those are no th easy things to accomplish, you have to admit. Light coming into such darkness without technology, without electricity, joy. And I think about, sometimes I go through Cork and I think, how is this city ever going to be reached? These people are so far gone away from God. They hate morality. They hate the Bible. They hate anything that has to do with church. How are they going to get saved? Not my, not my problem. Amen. God can do it. God can bring light into a nation of materialistic pagans. I'm just supposed to be a little bit of that light. Amen. Bring joy. Bring victory. And he does it to a baby. Let's learn about his birth. All right. Look at it in Isaiah 9, 6. It says, For unto us a child is born unto us a son is given now his birth is is no surprise i mean it was promised six thousand years ago god made a promise to eve that he that she would have a son wow without the father i will put god said i'll put enmity i'll put conflict or war between thee talking to satan and this woman and between thy seed and her seed, her descendant, it one day is going to bruise your head, and thou shalt only bruise his heel. God made a promise, I'm going to get you, Satan. I'm going to defeat you. I'm going to crush your head through a baby born to a woman without a husband. Genesis 3.15, we don't go there, um, uh, is a promise made 6,000 years ago. How about Numbers 24.17? God made a promise that he would be king at his birth. Numbers 24 says, I shall see him. This is Balaam looking out in the future and he says, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star, capital S, person, a star out of Jacob, out of the nation of Israel, and a scepter, a ruling rod, 
shall rise out of Israel. So what do we have? We have Matthew chapter 2 where it says, When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, behold, there came wise men from the east. Guess what they said when they met King Herod? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star. Somehow, God was already lighting up a star in the sky to attract people who knew the Bible to come and worship the king. And that was prophesied 1,500 years before the birth of Jesus. 700 years before that, you're in Isaiah, go to chapter 7 and verse 14. This is 700 years before the first Christmas. You have a promise that a virgin would conceive and bear this son. Isaiah 7, 14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, a miracle. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you're going to call his name what? Emmanuel means God right here with us. That was a promise. God made lots of promises. Do you know the oldest copy of the book of Isaiah? It's found in the Quimram Caves. There are a bunch of caves uh, near the Dead Sea. It's so dry, there's no moisture. It's actually the best place to keep old documents. Somebody had stored in some clay jars some, some documents in the back of 1950, uh, 1940s, somewhere around in there, some guy got up there, and it's very hard to get up there, uh, had to go climb up into these caves and found these jars, opened it up, and it hadn't been opened up in 2,000 years. Opened it up and found some old documents, took it to some archaeologists who opened it up, and they fainted on the spot. They were copies of Genesis, Exodus, Isaiah, um, Zechariah, Haggai, not the entire Old Testament, but about three-quarters of the entire Old Testament and they were a hundred years older than the birth of Christ. They were nearly a thousand years older than all the copies that anybody that, any, uh, that the Jews had of the Old Testament. So just get in your mind, the oldest copy before 1940-something, 1945-1948, when they found these scrolls, the oldest copy of the book of Isaiah was from 1100 A.D. 1100, that's only 900 years ago. This thing went back a previous thousand years. And guess how many differences there were between, out of all the copies of the copies of the copies of copies, how many differences there were between the one from 1100 A.D. and the one from 100 B.C.? How many? Zero. Because those old Jews, when they made a copy by hand, and they, they added up all of the letters, and they tallied them up on the side of each line, and tallied them up to the bottom, if they missed it by one, they burned the copy, and they started over, and they did it again. They never allowed themselves to ever make a mistake. So we have a prophecy, 714, that a virgin is going to be born. And guess what? In Matthew chapter 1, we got a virgin having a birth. The prophecies were no surprise to anybody that they're going to take place. Another one there, Micah 5, 2, where it says, Thou Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old. He's been from everlasting. That's 500 years before the first Christmas. These are just a few of the prophecies about the birth of a boy. And his birth is real. You know, if I was Isaiah and I was thinking that, that a Messiah was coming, I would think he would step down from heaven, you know? I would think he would, he would appear in the world and just come like through a, through a wall or through a a looking glass. You know, I would never imagine to him to, uh, to be born just like you and I were. He was born. He was carried by his mother in his mother's womb for nine months. He came into this world just like the rest of us, screaming and hungry and naked. That's how he was born. He was tiny, he was weak, and he was defenseless. He was a baby. How would you like to start a new job as a baby? I'm going to enter into politics. Okay, put on your nappy. They do need some, by the way. How would you like to start a new business as a helpless little baby? You think about it. That's how God was going to start his son off to save the world. You and I would go, I've got to go get the education. I've got to get my health up. I, you know all these guys that run these big companies, you know what they do? At four in the morning, they're up at a half four, they're on the treadmill for an hour. 
they are they're listening to pro positive thinking tapes and they're they're doing all this stuff so that when they get to the office at 6:30 and 7 they their mind is racing they are peak and God started off as a baby in this world see God does things backwards so to show how marvelous he can be trusted listen to his name I mean, look there, back there in Isaiah chapter 9. I think the most marvelous names you could call anyone. I've never, there's nobody I know that I could call these, except one. Well, listen to his names. They're not proper names. Like, they're not like Joe or John or Sean or Pat. These are descriptive words we're going to hear here. Describing what he's like. It'd be like saying, oh, you're a sweetheart. You're amazing. She's beautiful. He's so smart. Now those aren't names, so to speak. They're descriptions. Well, these next five names that we're about to see, he shall be called. These are going to describe the Messiah. Just one person. In the first one there in 9.6, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Now ponder that word for a minute. You know, all uh, wonderful means a miracle full of wonder. It's something that takes your breath away. Now, all babies are miracles, okay? But this baby is a true, blue, honest-to-God miracle, born of a virgin, born without any sin nature, born completely man and completely God. His birth is full of wonder. We'd say wonderful. He's called Counselor. Wonderful. Counselor. This baby is like a good friend from the start. Someone you can trust in. I'm a, I appreciate the fact that as, as Jesus starts his ministry, people got so upset at him and says, he's a friend with sinners. Hallelujah. He could sit down with somebody who was caught in adultery and counsel her out of that and save her life. Amen? You need a good friend like that. This baby was going to be known as a comforter, an encourager. From the day that he was born, he would show the way to get through the darkness, through the troubles, all the way home to heaven. It's like Christmas. I, listen, I think Jesus was actually born in September. I really do. All of the Jewish time scale, everything is born in September. But you know what? Not a bad thing in the darkness of the bleakest of winter to celebrate his birth in December because it sure is a time where we need some light. That little baby, all the pagan stuff going around, I mean, look at anyway, all the pagan stuff going around Christmas these days, there is still a baby there at the center of that thing, and he's light, and he's, he's, he's um, uh, wonderful. He's the counselor this world needs. You know, at 12 years old, you know what he was doing? He was teaching lawyers. He was teaching doctors what was right. <laughs> he's the counselor. But it gets better than that. What's his next name? The Mighty God. When was the last time you called your kid that? Here, Connor, <laughs> my little mighty God. <laughs> what? This child is called not a God, but the God. You're in Isaiah. Go to Isaiah 44. Go to Isaiah 44 in verse 6. I think there's some great humor in the Bible. Isaiah 44 in verse 6. What a thought. Isaiah 44, verse 6 says this, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last. Who's talking? The Lord. Jehovah. I am the first, I am the last. Beside me there is no, there's no God beside me. Verse 8, look down at verse 8. I think this is where the humor comes in. Fear ye not, neither be ye afraid. Have I not told thee from that time? I have declared it. You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Is there a God up here beside me? Yea, there is no God. Um, I know not any. Now that's got to be one of the funniest things in the Old Testament. For God to say, I don't see any, uh, I don't see any other gods up here. I mean, it's just humor. You've got to laugh at that and go, you know, when God talks like that, He means it. How many gods are there? One. And yet a baby was going to be called... The mighty God. 
Look at Isaiah 43, verse 11. Isaiah 43 and verse 11. You ought to circle these because they will work on your Jehovah's Witness co-worker or whatever. Isaiah 43, verse 11. Some of them will say, well, Jesus is a God, and then they'll say that Jesus is the Savior. And you go, really, really? Look at Isaiah 43, verse 11. I, even I am the Lord. I'm Jehovah. And beside me, there's not only not another God, but there is no other what? So, Jehovah God is Savior. Guess what Jesus is? Savior. So if God says there's no other Savior, guess who Jesus has to be? God. He's the mighty God. So here you have a human baby who's at the same time completely God. And John 1.14 says, And God the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. I mean, what was Joseph like? I mean, Joseph holding this baby. The baby's not his. But he's holding this baby and Mary's looking at him and he's, he's remembering Isaiah. This is the mighty God. I don't know. I don't know what would go through his mind. I, if I were Joseph, I couldn't say a word. Because it's just such a contradiction that God would do such a thing. But aren't you glad he did? He boiled it all down, made it very simple, so that I could watch God start out like I do, be perfect like I never will be, and then on the cross die in my place. And I step back and say, I had one person say, I've had lots of people say, why did God have to become a man so he could die? That's the only reason. He had nothing to show off. He already was God. He became a man so that he could die. See, God can't die. And the wages of sin is? So if God's going to take away the sting of death, he's going to have to take it away by bearing it. And God can't die. So he became a man. And he started off in the simplest way. He's the mighty God. He goes wilder than that. He's the everlasting Father. Think about it. Only God is called Father in the Bible. I mean, it's the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. Call no man on earth your Father in a religious sense because one is your Father and, you have, and, and you're brethren. Yet here's a baby at the moment of his birth is going to be called, he's the everlasting Father. Isaiah 9 is a real conundrum for a Jew because it prophesies that somebody's going to be born and he was, as a baby, going to be the father. Did you ever hear there was, I didn't copy it down, I thought it was ridiculous, but it's uh, my grand, uh, uh, um, it, it goes through a whole sequence of, of births and, uh, and, and connections in, in the family and somehow some, some uh, uh, grandson is actually the grandfather of somebody. It just turns out really crazy. I forget how it goes, but how do you have a baby who is the everlasting father? Because he's God. And he's called, finally, the Prince of Peace. That little baby can bring peace. That little baby is the highest source of peace. He's called the Prince of Peace. He makes peace for us with God, between me and God. Things had to be settled. You know who settled them? Jesus did. And then he brings to us the peace of God. You know, God's never worried one millisecond. He's never panicked. He didn't look at you and go, oh no, I did not plan on him doing that. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to fix it. No, God never worries about anything. When Jesus Christ was on this planet and walking around, he slept in the middle of a sinking ship in a deadly storm. <laughs> he was sleeping. That peace Jesus Christ gives to us. He's the Prince of Peace. You know, any person who could be called all those things, what baby could you call those things? Only a baby born in a manger. That's why I call him Jesus. That's why I humbly call him Lord. And why I gladly call him Savior, because he's the only one that matches all of those things. Now, what does any of that mean for us? What are we supposed to do well, all of that's a wonderful thing that makes Christmas maybe a little more special, but Christmas isn't about just looking. There's one word I want you to focus on now. Look in verse, back there in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7. Isaiah 9 and verse 7. We'll start back in verse 6 because it picks up 
For unto us this child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the, what's the next word? The government shall be upon his shoulder. Look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon the, his kingdom, just like promised, to order it and to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth even forever. And the zeal, the passion of the Lord of hosts will perform this. He's never going to slack off. So what is all this? What are we supposed to do now that we know who that baby is and what he represents? We're supposed to yield to his rule. That little baby was, is supposed to rule the universe, amen? He was born king. Now, no baby is born king. Never before has a baby born king. They were born a prince, and it would take years of training and preparation before they would become king. But only Jesus, at the moment of his birth, the wise men said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And when they came, they came and they yielded. They, these men, how many we don't know, we figure three because there are three gifts. But these men who were the wisest men of Babylon, who were the smartest, most studious Bible students of the day, when they came, and they came into this hovel of a, of a, of a home, of a, uh, it, they actually were in a house at the time that these men came. They didn't come on Christmas night. When the wise men came and they found Joseph and Mary and this little baby there in this, in this simple home, they fell on their face and they worshipped him. Because he's in charge. And the most important thing for us in the 21st century is to yield as well. Because he was born to rule this universe. He was born to rule you and me. You know what our problem is? Us. This, this world has changed. Um, entertainment has changed. There is almost nothing safe to watch. The LGBTQRSTUVRSIYZ crowd is taking every advantage so that you can't watch anything anymore. It's just like, why? And, and, and there's, without, without help, folks, we're going to be just defeated. But our biggest problem is not the world. Our biggest problem is our own stubborn pride when the Lord asks us to do something and we fight Him. You see, I'm so upset at the world. I'm so upset at the sin of the world. I'm so upset at the politics when really I need to be upset with me. Because Jesus is supposed to be in charge of me, not them. If they're in charge of my life, I'll be very upset because they're ruining it. If they're in charge of my family and my home and my entertainment, then they're ruining it. But if he's in charge, everything's going to be fine. Amen? Amen. So, yield to his rule. He is called Lord, by the way, isn't he? That means the boss. By the way, he has the shoulders for it. It mentions there, government shall be upon his shoulder. How many of you remember the old uh, uh, middle, uh, middle age medieval films and uh, the king would stand there and would uh, bring somebody forward and they would draw a sword and that person would kneel and with that sword, the king would place the, the tip of the sword on his what? Shoulders, saying, you now have authority. You can bear rule under the king. He transferred some of the authority onto his shoulders. That's what it was symbolizing. Well, Jesus was not being given a little bit of shoulders. And upon his shoulder, the, the government of this entire world, this entire universe, was placed. His realm only increases. Of the increase of his government peace, there shall be no end. You know, Jesus never loses any of his subjects. Hallelujah, amen. His, you know, when you get into his kingdom, you can't lose. You can get messed up. You can ruin your life. You can blow a lot of rewards in heaven, but Jesus Christ never loses. I'm proof of it. Because if anybody could have gotten lost after getting saved, it'd be every third week. His realm only increases. It results in perfect peace. 
you know, it, you know where peace has to take place? Go to, go to Philippians. I'll preach on this tonight. I'm preaching on peace tonight. I beg you, please. I wish I could just ask you, but I'll just beg you right now. Please come back tonight, because I'm going to talk about peace in the Bible. What did the angels say they wanted for the world? It says, peace on... All right. That's the wish of the angels. It's my wish, too. And there's a way to have peace, even though the world's going crazy. But Philippians chapter 4, I'll, I'll say this later verse, uh, tonight. Verse 6, be careful for nothing. That doesn't mean about driving. You've got to be careful that way. But full of care or panicky about nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, always with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I got really convicted this week. You know, I pray. But I get to the place where I just expect God to do things. And the Lord just got me and says, you know why things aren't happening? Because you're not asking. I thought, man, oh man, oh man, what a convicting thought. Wondering what, why something's not happening here, and why so-and-so is not there, and why somebody's really struggling there. And I say, Lord, why aren't you doing anything? The Lord's saying, nobody's asking. I was like, Lord, let your requests be made known unto God. Keep going. Verse 7, and guess what happens? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, you'll never figure it out, shall keep your, where does peace need to be? In your hearts and in your minds through Christ Jesus. Powerful stuff, folks. His kingdom brings in good peace. If your house is, a, is hell on earth, if your home is falling apart, if your mind is, is splitting into 47 different directions, if your heart is broken again and again and again, walk with Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. He can give peace. All he has to do is speak it, and everything will calm down. Of his kingdom and his peace shall be no end. I just like that. I just want to say it again. It'll never end. Luke chapter 1 says this, And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Romans 15, 12 says that again. Isaiah said, There shall be a root of Jesse. And he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, to him shall the Gentiles trust. Wow, the Gentiles are going to trust him. Revelation 11 says, The seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Go to Luke now. We're finished in Isaiah. Go to Luke. Luke chapter 6. In verse 46. You and I are Gentiles. Are you trusted in? Have you turned over all your panics and your worries to Him and said, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm stopping trusting myself. I, I'm not going to be leaning on my own understanding anymore. I'm trusting you. Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. Jesus asks a very probing question and he says, And why call ye me, what are the words? Lord, Lord, and yet do not the things which I say. If, if that baby is king, lord, sovereign, ruler, governor of the universe, and, and was born and lived and died to be your lord, what are you fighting him for? You know what? When Saul of Tarsus was saved, you know what Jesus said to him? He's on the road to, on, on, to Damascus, and uh, uh, Saul says, Is that you, Lord? And Jesus said, Yep. It's in the Greek. Yep. I am Jesus, whom thou persecuted. And then he says a statement. He says, It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Against, uh, a prick was, a, was the, when you took a, uh, a cattle prod and you poked the cattle to get them moving or to stop them from fighting with other animals and things. And Jesus said, you're kicking me when I'm picking your heart and when I'm bringing you into conviction. You're fighting me. Are you ready to quit? And that's when Saul of Tarsus raised his hand and says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He said, I yield. You know what made Paul a great Christian? Not his intelligence, not his family, not his money, not his genealogy. You know what made him great? His surrender. He was so yielded 
I had a couple of years back, I, I brought in an illustration of, of two hand gloves, these work gloves. One of them had been, um, uh, was pretty old and had become so stiff because it had paint and it had goop and all this stuff. So I put my hand in it and I couldn't use it. You couldn't pick things up with it. So I got another one. It's a work glove. I put it on and it was flexible. It yielded to my hand. And that glove yielded to my hand. That's the one I was going to use. And if you want to be used by God, yield. If you want the peace of God, yield. If you want the light in times of darkness, yield to His rule. Because the best part of this whole thing that started it all was that that birth was for you. Unto us. I like how it says that. Not unto them, somebody else, but unto us. He's born. History never means much to anybody until they learn that their grandfather fought in the Battle of the Somme in France in 1916. You know, you say, what's the Battle of Somme? I don't know. But when you find out your grandfather fought and died, and then all of a sudden you're reading about it because it has a connection to you. You know, when you find, when you find out that your great uncle actually helped build, like my great uncle, helped build parts of the rockets that launched men to the moon in 1970. That made me impressed. Family member was building that big Saturn V rocket. You know, history doesn't have much meaning until there's a connection there. Well, that baby has no real meaning until you get connected to it and you realize he came for you. You see, we are the reason for the season. I know we say Jesus is the reason for the season, but that's not true. Jesus wouldn't have had to come if it weren't for me. I'm the reason for the season. So are you. There was a song that was written back in 1980 by a guy named David Meese. It says, As little children we would dream of Christmas morn, of all the gifts and toys we knew we'd find. But we never realized a baby born one blessed night gave us the greatest gift of our lives. We were the reason that He gave His life. We were the reason that He suffered and died. To a world that was lost, He gave all He could give to give us the reason to live. We are the reason, folks. You know, Isaiah 53 puts it a little more strongly. It says this, He shall grow up before God as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness, no beauty, and when we shall see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. He is despised and rejected of men. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Again, this is not the baby. This is the man now. And we hid as our, were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised because of our iniquities. And the chastisement, the beatings, the whippings, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Unto us is born that baby. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because unto us is a born a baby who can bring light, who can bring joy and victory into our lives. If you're looking for any of that, you're not going to find it at Smith's Toys. You're not going to find it at Debenhams. You can go to a bottle. You can go to a pill. You can go to a counselor. You can go all over this world looking for light, joy, and victory. And you'll not find it like you will in the name of Jesus Christ. His birth is no surprise. It should be no surprise to you. You've heard about it all your life. You even have a Bible in your hand that tells you all the things and a, a thousand more. That birth ought to be no surprise. And it wasn't to, it shouldn't have been to the Jews. His birth was real. But what's so amazing is you can find out how amazing he is. Let me ask you this. Have you found it to be wonderful? You know how I know somebody's saved? Because they love Jesus Christ. I'm glad you come to church. But I wonder why. Do you come because I, I can show you a nice PowerPoint? Do you come because it's warm and comfortable, it's the thing to do, or do you come because you just, you found Jesus to be the miracle of your life? 
The only good thing in your life is Him. Have you found Him to be true? Have you found Him to be your counselor, your guide? Do you ever open the Bible saying, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of Thy law. Teach me. Help me. I'm tired of asking everything and everyone on the planet. They're all on their own. Got their own opinions. I want to hear from you. Counsel me, God. Have you found Him to be your counselor? Have you found Him to be your mighty God? The mighty God of your life that you trust in and you turn to and know He'll take care of your problems? You know, if you pray to him like he's just a name, if you pray to him like he's just a statue or an idol or a religious, he'll not answer you. But if you pray unto the mighty God, Jesus Christ, he can answer you. Is he the everlasting father you can trust? You know, I know a lot of us had fathers that kind of weren't the best. I told you about the time my dad taught me to swim. We were in the swimming pool. At an uncle's house, in the deep end, I stayed at the shallow end. My dad said, come on, Craig. He put me up on the edge. He said, jump, I'll catch you. Go, you're my dad. You'd never let me down. I'll never let you down. Come on, son. Jump in. I'm going to teach you to swim. I went, okay, dad. And I leapt, and he stepped back. (sighs) Come on, Craig. Come on back up, Craig. Come on up, Craig. Come on, come on, come on. That's fine. Now breathe. Now swim. And he taught me to swim. Not all dads turn out to be great. But you have an everlasting father who will never let you down. And you can trust in and you know that he holds you and he'll never let you go. Have you found him to be the only everlasting father? I mean, your dad may have left you. Your dad may have failed you. Your family may never be what you needed. But you have an everlasting father that you can find that you can, that you can find will, uh, will never let you down. And lastly, have you found him to be the Prince of Peace? The Prince of Peace. I don't know how anybody lives without peace, man. I mean, you know, you know, stress will get you where you can't sleep, you can't eat, ulcers, everything. We all need peace. And Christmas is supposed to bring peace, not stress. Will you yield today to his governing of your soul? What does that mean? Let him have it. You know, um, uh, the only thing that Jesus wants is you. And he doesn't need your looks. He doesn't need your hairstyle. He doesn't need your abilities. All he wants your soul. Let him have it where he's in charge. Romans says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Just by believing it to be true, God imputes righteousness, and with the mouth confession is uh, is made unto salvation. And then verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of, don't say Jesus, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Now yes, his name is Jesus, but he's Lord. You know what most people do? They kind of do a little deal. All right, Jesus, I'll give you my soul, but only on Sundays. He doesn't want visitation rights. He wants you. You know how you get saved? You know how you get happy and you live a life that's actually fulfilling? Let him lead. Let's stand. Let's bow in prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you know, Jesus can rule this world. He can actually fix anything that's broken from your life all the way up to every government on this planet. But He will not rule whom He has not saved. He will not rule anyone whom He has not saved. You know who's in charge of your life if you're not born again? The God of this world. The Prince of the Power of the Air. Satan. Jesus said to the most religious people of the day, He said to the Pharisees, He said, You are following your father, the devil. You're of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. I don't want to be like that. And I ask you, who's going to be in charge of your life? Christmas is a a hot water to the tea bag. Christmas will reveal who's in charge. Are you worried about what your kids want? Are you worried about all the, the, the debt you've got to go into? Are you worried about all the stress? 
Or is God convicting you saying, Lord, I've got to make sure you get glory and you get the honor and you get the attention that Christmas is supposed to bring. And all I ask for, Lord, is that peace and that ability to trust you like Christmas is supposed to remind me of. Father, I bow and I ask you, God, that Christmas this year would be different in a good way and that our homes would be places where we take back what the world has soiled and that we just love you. We just would, would honor you. Now, not honoring an eternal baby. But that's how you started off and it humbles us. But we honor what that baby grew up to be and to do. And it didn't even end at the cross. Three days later, he got up and our Messiah, our Savior, lives forever. Lord, 39 years ago, I let him save my soul, become my Lord and my Savior. Please, let it happen again this morning. And somebody in their heart of hearts just hate who they are and what they've done and what all that they've struggled with and let them just dump it and ask Christ to save them right now. And then I pray for a lot of blessings in our homes. For unto us is given the greatest gift ever. In Jesus' name, amen.